Hello and a very friendly welcome as you join us here on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. We're looking at the dignity of Christ today with Brian in our studies of Christ's character. And later in his talk today, Brian will be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, so have your Bible ready if you'd like to follow. But now let's go to our study of Christ's dignity with Brian. Thanks, John. Yes, we've been thinking about the character of Christ as we read about it from the writings of the Apostle Paul, and we're finding many of the references can be drawn from just one of his letters, and that's 2 Corinthians. It's previously struck me very forcibly that Paul had a good reason to describe the character of Jesus Christ to the people in the Church of God at Corinth. It was there, you remember, that some in the group were questioning Paul's credentials as an apostle. They considered him weak, perhaps in speech, and certainly lacking in bodily presence. His sufferings, poverty, near-death experiences, and lack of assertiveness all seemed to invite their suspicions, causing them to question his credibility as an apostle. Paul accepts these characterizations of his ministry and doesn't hide from them or defend against them. Quite the opposite, in fact. He points to these very same things as being the very things that, in fact, show his ministry to be authentic. To do this, he traces how the Lord's own saving career was full of paradoxes. God's power was made perfect in Christ's weakness. God's grace was demonstrated in the fact that we've become enriched through Christ's poverty. To bring us life, he willingly endured death. Our comfort has been brought about through sufferings, his and ours. As Paul refers to Christ's experiences, we find Christ's character being revealed. Not only that, but the character of Paul's ministry is being endorsed to his critics, in that in so many ways it paralleled Christ's own. If the criticism of Paul was to the effect that his ministry was undignified by suffering and weakness, Paul's counter is both brilliant and so illuminating, Christ, as the ideal man, was crowned with glory and honour in fulfilment of Psalm 8. And yet this was so that he might taste death for us and in so doing restore the dominion God had originally intended for now fallen humanity. While mentioning glory, let's turn to a glorious moment in Christ's earthly life. Lots of subjects once considered unmentionable are now openly discussed, even joked about. Perhaps only death remains as a final taboo subject, one not to be talked about in polite company at the dinner table. Luke's account of the Mount of Transfiguration makes it clear that death was, in fact, the topic of conversation then. Let's hear what Luke says about it. This is the reading from Luke 9 that John was mentioning. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzlingly white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him 
Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Notice they were speaking about Jesus' departure or death, which was soon to take place at Jerusalem. It might seem strange that the topic of death, even Jesus' death, should be backlit over against such glory as was glimpsed on the mountain. But we'll be exploring something of the grandeur and majesty of Christ's death for us in God's plan. Jesus was shortly to die a death that would be seen by many as being shameful. But this scene on the mountain anticipates Jesus' death in an altogether different light. It's the most breathtaking of all God's purposes and something which will bring him eternal glory. If the end of Moses and Elijah's time on earth was remarkable in each case, and it was, then Jesus' death was infinitely more so in God's purpose. It shows the uniqueness of Christ. Peter made the same mistake on the Mount of Transfiguration that religious cults still make. When Peter said to the Lord, It's good for us to be here. If you desire, let us make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was, in effect, bringing the Lord down to the same level as Moses and Elijah. The Father's voice from heaven corrected this mistake, restoring to Jesus the unique place he occupies in human history. In all the religions of the world, indeed in all the world, he is without equal. I now want to quote to you from an old and anonymous sermon in which the preacher used his imagination to set the scene as though it were the reflection of Pontius Pilate sometime afterwards. It suddenly closed in on me, Gaius, the impact of how trapped I was. The proud arm of Rome, with all its boast of justice, was to be but a dirty dagger in the pudgy hands of the priests. I was waiting in the room I used for court, officially enthroned with cloak and guard, when they let this Jesus in. Well, Gaius, don't smile at this as you value your jaw, but I've had no peace since the day he walked into my judgment hall. It's been years, Gaius, but those scenes I'll read from the back of my eyelids every night. You've seen Caesar, haven't you? When he was young, inspecting the legion, his arrogant manner was childlike compared to the manner of the Nazarene. He didn't have to strut, you see. He walked towards my throne, arms bound, with a strident mastery, this Jesus did, and a kind of a control that by its very audacity silenced the room for an instant, and left me trembling with an insane desire to stand up and salute. The clerk began reading the absurd list of charges, the priestly delegations punctuating these with the palm rubbings, the beard strokings, the eye rollings, the pious gutturals, by now which I had learned to ignore, but I more felt it, Gaius, than heard it. I questioned him mechanically, and he answered very little. But what he said, and the way he said it, it was as if his level gaze had pulled up my naked soul right up into my eyes and was probing me there, and a voice kept saying in my ears, Why, you're on trial, Pilate. And the man was not listening to the charges. 
You would have sworn he'd just come in out of friendly interest to see what was going to happen to me, and the very pressure of his standing there had grown unbearable. When a slave rushed in, all a-tremble, interrupting court, bringing a message from Claudia. She'd stabbed at the stylus in that childish way she does when she's distraught. Don't judge this amazing man, Pilate, she wrote. I was haunted in dreams by him this night. Gaius, I tried to free him. I declared him out of my jurisdiction being a Galilean, but the native King Herod discovered he was born in Judea and sent him right back to me. I appealed to the crowd, hoping that they would be his sympathisers, but Caiaphas had stationed agitators to whip up the beasts that cry for blood, and you know how in this town here any citizen loves the blood of another person just after breakfast and screams for another's blood. I had him beaten, Gaius, a thorough barracks room beating. I'm still not sure why, to appease the crowd, I guess. But do we Romans really need any reason for beatings? Isn't that the code for anything we don't understand? Well, it didn't work, Gaius. The crowd roared like some slavering beast when I brought him back. If only you could have watched him. They had thrown some rags of mock purple over his bleeding shoulders. They jammed a chaplet of thorns down on his forehead, and it fitted. It all fitted, Gaius. He stood there watching them from my balcony, swaying from weakness by now, but royal, I tell you. Not just pain, but pity shining from his eyes. And I kept thinking, somehow this is monstrous. This is upside down. That purple is real. That crown is real. And somehow these animal noises the crowd is shrieking should be praise. And then Caiaphas played his master stroke on me. He announced there in public that this Jesus claimed a crown, and that was treason to Caesar. And the guards began to glance at one another quickly, and that mob of spineless fools began to shout, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! And Gaius, I knew I was beaten. I gave the order. I couldn't look at him. Then I did a childish thing. I called for water, and there on the balcony I washed my hands of that whole affair. But as they led him away, Gaius, I did look up, and he turned and looked at me. No smile, no pity, just glanced at my hands, and I'll feel the weight of his eyes on them from now on. The impression that quoted sermon gives is true. Jesus is without equal in dignity. To read the Bible with understanding is to become aware that Jesus Christ had come to die, to die sacrificially for the forgiveness of all who put their faith in him. I want us to see the stateliness, the dignity of Jesus Christ, which couldn't be hidden even in the extreme conditions of him heading out to die as a sacrifice for sin.
Thank you for your talk, Brian. And as usual, I'd like to remind you there's a free book to go with this series of 10 studies of Christ's character. A copy can be yours if you write in by post or email. And we'd also be pleased to hear any comments or questions you might have after listening today. Now, if you'd like a copy of the book, just ask for The Character of Christ. And here's the address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Search for Truth, PO Box 748, Ringwood, Victoria 3134, Australia. Search for Truth, PO Box 70115, Chilomany, Blantyre, Malawi. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So many, many thanks once again for your support in following these studies, and I hope you're enjoying them. It's been great to enjoy the pleasure of your company today, so please join me again next week if you're able to, when Brian will be taking a look at the steadfastness or patience of Christ. Until then, it's goodbye for now, and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers, and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, may God richly bless you. Jesus loves you too. Blessed Jesus dearly loves you. He's a friend so kind and true. Though the vilest sinner you may be, blessed Jesus loves you too. Seek his precious tender care He will save and pardon you Every sorrow he will gladly bear Blessed Jesus loves you too Blessed Jesus dearly Jesus loves you too.